Hope you had a great day today. Yeah, sure pretty out there, that's for sure. Uh, we've been talking about absolutes, truth. Truth is simple. Don't make it complicated because when you make it complicated, you lose truth. Truth is always simple. It's always simple. Always has been. Always will be. When it becomes complicated, it's no longer truth. Too many things are involved then. Um, I think we, we somehow like making things complicated because then we're not held accountable to truth. I, I often think, you know, I, I've, I've heard many times people talk about uh, marriage and how difficult it is and complicated, and I thought, it really isn't. It's really not that hard. Oh, there are some hard things, like dying to myself, that's what's hard. But to me, when my marriage is not doing well, it's because I'm usually self-centered. Or my wife is, one of the two. And you can't have a good marriage if somebody's being self-centered. So the rule is for us, when things aren't going well, one of us is being a jerk. Or both of us. Straighten that out, the marriage goes fine. See, it's pretty simple. Now, I know there's a lot of other things in there, but things are a lot simpler than we like to make it. And when you make it complicated, what you're doing, you're, 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 per, you're, you're on purpose making it so you can't do it. I want to talk about the absolute or the truth about faith. Faith is totally misunderstood in our culture. It's misunderstood in the church a lot of times. What is it? People talk about they have faith in something. You do? What does that actually mean? Does that mean you believe in something? You can believe in something. Does that mean you have faith in it? Actually, no. Where does faith even come from? Believe it or not, it doesn't come from experience. It comes from hearing. It comes from our minds. It comes from logic. Uh, once again, my pen. Somebody made it. Logic. In, in a way, you, you understand, you have faith that somebody actually made this. You've never seen it made. You don't know the process it's made. But just by the fact that I'm holding it, you know its purpose. You know it's made. You know it didn't come together. Those are faith qualities. Now, now basically, you're applying a lot of thought process to this pen, actually. And it may seem simple, so you don't really see the processes going through real quickly through your brain. Faith is an interesting idea. It comes by hearing. Faith is not the absence of thought, but the result of clarity of thought. See, when you really understand something, you act as if you understand something. So a guy like my dad, he loved God, walked with God, was a you know, preacher all of his life. He was first employee for one, a youth association. I mean, this guy knew God. And guess what? He, because he knew God, he acted like he knew him. Um, I like to read the Bible through at least once a year. I, I don't think it's hard to read through. I think if you spend 15 minutes a day on it, you read it at a fifth grade level, you'll get it done. So that's not hard. Uh, if people who don't read the Bible through it, I, I think they're missing out on, on contextually understanding what, what God's word says. And 
First of all, they don't have any right talking about who God is. They don't have any right talking about what's in the Bible. Read it through first. And, and as you read it through, what you understand is, is that God loves you. That you go back to the beginning like I was talking about. There's a, there's a plan for all of this. And then you start to live in the context of what you understand. The truth is, you didn't see God. You didn't see him create the world. You didn't do that. You heard about it, and it makes sense to you. And therefore, what people try and do is manipulate the idea of something making sense. And that's called propaganda. And that's what Satan's really good at. If you remember in the Garden of Eden, when you look at it, Adam and Eve had a very simple directive. Simple, not hard, simple. You can eat of every tree of the garden, but don't touch that one. Okay, I'm sure God said, any questions? No, that was pretty simple. That one tree we're not supposed to touch. We understand that. So what did Satan do? Made it complicated. Did God really say that? Do you know why? Now it goes into this. Did God really say it? Did you understand all the ramifications of why he said that? It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's just stop all that for a second. Go back to the simple. Did God say don't touch that tree? Yes. I got it. He's God. I'm Adam. No touching. But that's not how it worked. Propaganda took over. Let's twist what you actually heard. Let's make it sound like you heard something else. See, propaganda is a tough thing. Because what's happening is somebody's playing with your mind trying to get you to believe something for something that will benefit them. It's not going to benefit you. Remember I told you, you, you tend to use what you should love and love what you should use. Satan doesn't love any people. He wants to use us to get to God. And if you look at it, you see, this makes sense. When God said, I'm going to give you choice, I'm really going to give you choice, he really does give you choice. And otherwise, you'd be a robot, and robotic love is really stupid when you think about it. You program a robot to do what you want it to do, and then you say, oh, man, this robot really loves me. This is really great. And everybody that knows what you just did thinks, you're really weird. Because you program that robot to love you. In fact, there are places right now in the world where you can buy a robot mate. I personally think that's very weird. Just saying. A robot mate. They'll be faithful to you. You program it. You'll get up every day and it'll tell you how much it loves you. It'll vacuum every day. It'll iron. It'll do your laundry. It'll do whatever you tell it to. It'll prove its love to you. The only problem is it doesn't love you. You programmed it. It's totally ludicrous to think that God would program us and still be a God of love. See, that doesn't work. You can't do that. So God actually gave Adam and Eve choice. He did from the very beginning. He said, you can use this choice. You can either reject me or you can accept what I've said. If you reject me, there's going to be a penalty. This isn't really hard to understand. He said, if you disobey me, there'll be a penalty of death. That's what he said. And then once again, I'm sure he didn't go, any questions, Adam? I mean, you got to, no, because don't touch the tree, and if you do, you die. Period. How about that? 
Then Satan comes in, propagandizes, or whatever the word is, gets them. They make a bad choice, and everyone's going, well, if God really loved, he, he would not mean what he really said. Think about that. If God really loved, he wouldn't mean what he said? That's a dumb thing to say. God does really love, and he really means what he says. That's part of the reliability of God. In fact, the fact that sin was passed on to all people shows that God is reliable. Because when he says something, he means it. That's part of having faith in him, is realizing that when he says something, he means it. You see, you lose faith in people when they say something, but they don't come through. God has never done that. He has never, ever gone back on what he said. So when he says something, he's totally reliable. That's where faith comes from. That's what faith is. And without faith, and, and faith is so important, the absolute about faith, the, the truth about faith is it's the most important thing in your life. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. So people are out there saying, well, I hope one day, whenever I hear someone say, well, I hope one day when I die, you know, I hope God's pleased with me, it's like, you don't have to hope that. Live in the context of what you know, you'll be fine. Yeah, but I'm hoping the good outweighs the bad. There we go with that term again, good. What are you talking about exactly? You're hoping doing right outweighs your doing wrong? Quit with the good and bad stuff. Because the good and bad is a mask. Because that's a comparative term. So use the term, I do right, I do wrong. Okay, so I do right. And I do wrong. Now, guess what? God knows when I do right and he knows when I do wrong. And he still loves me. And he's going to be faithful. My sin is going to have a price. He said that all along. Your sin separates you. The idea of death, basically, is not, you know, it's, it's an idea of separation. When you think about death, it, it separates you. My mom and dad are, are dead. They're separated from me now until I join them in eternity. Now, nobody likes the idea of separation, by the way. And that's the penalty for sin, separation. God calls separation death. That's what he calls it. So when you sin, you experience death. You're separated from God. When you're not sinning, you're not separated from him. See, that's how simple that is. And God said, well, you all sinned. You've all been separated from me. Okay, we get that. However, right from the beginning, he said, I got a plan for this, though. I got a plan to make sure we don't stay separated. Now, now faith, it comes by hearing. It doesn't come by seeing first. I, when I was a kid, a lot of people gave us illustration, you know, a chair. You know, you have faith in a chair. And I'm thinking, it's not really a definition. You see a chair. It's not, faith comes from hearing. It, it, you don't see the things necessarily. I can't touch God right now. I can't see him. I can't, I can see the effects. I can't touch wind. I can see the effects. I, but I can't, see, faith comes from hearing. It, it, it's believing and lining up what I believe and then living in the context of what I believe. I don't know how many people have come to me and, and they've said things like, you know, and I'm not a counselor, I guess. I'm really not. I'm more of a teacher, so you can see why it seems like I don't know how to counsel. Because they would come to me and say, you know what, Dave, I'm, I'm, 
I'm really scared of the future. I'm really nervous about this. And I said, do you think God loves you? Yeah. Do you think he's in control of everything? Yeah. And I said, well, act like it. I, what else do you want me to tell you? My only conclusion is you don't think God loves you and he's in charge. So I can't fix that. You've got to spend time with God so you know him better so that you can relax during the hard times. Because there's actually a plan. Oh, I'm not saying it's easy. I went through the storm. I understand that. There are moments where you struggle with it. And what you got to do is start telling yourself what you know and not what you feel. What I know is different than what I feel. Oh, I'm going to have feelings. You know, I'm, I'm going to want to punch that bear fan. I'm going to have that feeling. Am I going to do it? I doubt it. Why? Because I need to listen to what I know and not what I feel. And doing that would be wrong. It's not that I, you know, one day maybe the feelings will get in line with what I actually know. But it doesn't always work that way. But see, faith is not about feelings. That's not what it's about. It's not about me, i got to feel close to God. I don't know how many people come to me and say, I, I really don't feel close to God. I said, what do you want to do, do, do? I mean, you think God's a teddy bear? I mean, you just get close to him and give him a hug? What do you mean feel close? I don't know what you mean. Do you know who he is? Yeah. Do you love him? Do you spend time with him? Do you enjoy him? Yeah. Well, whether you feel it or not, he's there. So act like it. Well, that's the problem. If I felt like it, I'd act like it. No, you're going by your feelings again. You don't feel like it today? You know, there's a time where I go and get a dozen donuts. I'd eat them all. I like donuts. I always feel like a donut. <laughs> I say no. I keep a candy bar. Don't eat it. See, why? I want to say no. It's not really about my feelings. It's about what I know. Do you know that God exists? See, that's, again, in the beginning, God. You don't know that. If you're sitting here tonight and you're not convinced of that, then you, that's where you got to start. Because if you don't know if God exists, in the beginning, God, then okay. You have nowhere to go. And then, in the beginning, God did what? Created. He created people. He created the world. He created, he created us. Purpose. Pen, pen, pen. Created. Purpose. Me. Purpose. Rocks. Purpose. Snow. Purpose. Lots of snow. Lots of purpose. You know, I, I don't know. But without faith, I know this. For me... The way that I live in the context of the way God made me is by faith. And without faith, I can't live in that context. I am made to demonstrate faith in God. That's what I'm made to do. So when I'm not doing that, I'm living out of context. And, and, and the world seems out of place to me then. It seems so right. When, when things happen, it seems so right for me to go and say, well, let's see how God works this out. See, that's the context. God is working, and I want to see how he works it out. I don't know how he's going to work it out yet, but here's my faith in action. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's what it is. People who have faith, you can't shake them. You, you can't shake them. I'm sorry. They're unshakable. Why? Because God's unshakable, and that's what their faith is in. 
It's not in something that's going to change. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Sorry for that illustration all the time, but they just pop out at me all the time. It's like King Nebuchadnezzar says, you got to bow. They go, we're not bowing. You're not God. You don't understand. You will die. They look at him and say, maybe. Maybe not. Either way, we're not bowing. What do you mean, maybe, maybe not? Well, if we die, we're with God. We're free of you. If we don't die, we're free of you anyway because you see you have no power. Either way, we win. Throw us in the furnace. You don't understand. Yes, I do. You change, Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, look at the, they couldn't see forward, but eventually he's eating grass. They go to the furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar goes, I guess they taught them. And then he looks in the furnace and sees these guys still alive. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Something's going very wrong here. Nothing's going wrong for them. It's going wrong for you because you don't have any faith. You don't even know what you're talking about. They actually know what they're talking about. They didn't waver. They're walking in the furnace. You're sitting here sweating it out. You're sweating. They're not. Why? Daniel. They come to him and they can't find anything wrong with the guy. So they say, oh, we got to make praying wrong. Sounds interesting. Make prayer a bad thing. Daniel, he doesn't, doesn't say the Bible. Bible didn't say he laughed at him. He just basically said, I always pray. Open the windows and pray. Why? He knew who he was praying to. He wasn't praying to the king. He didn't pray for a show. It wasn't a religious thing he did. Yeah, well, you'll die from it. <laughs> really? That's the best you can do is kill me? You kill me, I'm in the very presence of the king. You don't kill me, I'm in the very presence of the king. I win. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So the king throws him in. King didn't want to. He waited. It was the king who sweat that night again. Remember, this is a Nebuchadnezzar rerun. In the morning, he goes and says, boy, I hope that God you talk about actually is the God you talk about. You down there, Daniel? Oh, yeah, king, no problem. You know, these, these lions are okay. They're kind of furry. You range them, you sleep nice, little pillows. Get him out of there. Daniel, he actually had faith. See, our faith, it matters what you have your faith in. If you have it in you, there's, there's things going around now where people are saying, no, I've got to be true to myself and all that kind of stuff. And I look at them and go, really? You think you're reliable? Follow me around for a day. I think I'm pretty conservative and pretty reliable, and I'm still a jerk half the time. I mean, I don't tell a lie on purpose, but man, I'm telling you something. I, I got to watch myself. I'm not God. I'm Dave. God's reliable. I'm going to trust him. Now, you might say something, and I might respect you, and I might trust you. But the truth is, you might let me down. You're not God. Money? Money will let you down. Fame, fortune, oh, that'll let you down. People, they're going to let you down. Health, oh, it will let you down. Watch me get off the stage without the stairs. I look like I'm 150 years old. Yet I think, man, I'm, you know, I'm the old football hockey player. I'll keep telling you that. I, no, health lets you down. 
There's one consistent in the whole universe, and that's God. And he makes it so that I can have my trust in him. The popular notion of faith is that what a man does not deny, he believes, and that if he will maintain a doctrine and argument, he thereby proves what he believe, that he believes it. You know, it's interesting. People are like, if you say, do you have faith? They go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And I'm, what is that? It's like saying you have love. I want to know what that is. It's saying I'm good. I want to know what that is. You know, we, we say all these meaningless terms, and faith has become one of them. Keep the faith, baby. What does that mean? I don't even know what that means. Apart from the scriptures where I can actually put my trust in somebody who's going to be there all the time. And James actually says this. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? See, what people will look at that and go, see, I got I to gotta work my way to be in favor of God. No, you don't. Here, here's what it's saying, though. There is a God. If you know there's a God, you know there's a God, so you put your faith in him. If you actually put your faith in him, you're going to live as if he's God. That's all. If you don't live as if he's God, did you really have faith? That's all it's saying. What we've turned it around to is I'm going to act as if I have faith. I'm going to act as if I trust him. And therefore, it's faith. No, 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 no. It's the other way around. My faith automatically produces something. If I don't have what it produces, then do I have faith? That's the question. That's the question I have to ask myself. So when the storm hits, and I say, you know, God is faithful. And someone could look at me and say, so why are you so worried? Good point. Good point. I have to think about that. Do you have faith in God? I remember a friend of mine, um, she had... Um, Scleroderma, she was a missionary for a while. She had scleroderma, which was destroying her lungs. And, and it's a long story, and her story is actually very fascinating. Um, she should have, have died very, very easily. In fact, when they went in eventually, and and doctor came out of surgery, talked to her husband, said, we have no idea how she was breathing. She had no lungs left. Before she went into the surgery, and, and it was the very last week that the surgeons thought you better find a donor for the for lungs or you're not going to be around it's like the last week they called her in they really didn't know if they were going to be able to save her or not very calmly she just looked at her husband and said let's see what god does see you later that's faith Am I going to leave? Am I not going to come off of this operating table? Maybe. Am I going to come off this operating table? Maybe. What faith does is say, God, you're in charge, and whatever, either way, it's okay. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, burn or don't burn. Either way, we win. Daniel, get eaten by lions, don't get eaten by lions. Either way, we win. That's faith. What people have, have turned it to is you've got to have faith. In order, you know, if you're sick, if you don't have enough faith, you're going to stay sick. You could have all the faith in the world and still be sick. You don't manipulate faith. You don't take it and use it as, as your own weapon. 
Faith is believing that God is God and that he loves you and he's got a plan and you're living within that plan. That, that's really what it is. And then you act that way. People who have faith, they're very generous people. Why? Because they never trusted money in the first place. They're trusting God. And God put in their heart to be generous with someone. They can be generous with them. It looks like they're at a deficit now. They're not at a deficit. God will take care of them. And I could fill your night with stories of God's faithfulness in the last 50 years here. Even in my personal life. Moving up here in 81, making 300 bucks a month and not knowing how I was going to live, not having a car, not knowing anything. And having my dad, who was a man of faith, say, oh, God will take care of you. Just take notes. You just get up every day and do what you're supposed to do. Trust him. Today at 63, I'm completely out of debt. I don't owe anything to anybody. And no one would consider me rich, by the way. But I consider myself very rich. Not only that, I'm really not worried about the future. We haven't had a retirement plan here. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll probably get up every day and work until I can't. And then we'll see. But here's what I will promise you. My Heavenly Father is capable of caring for me. So I'm going to live as if he's capable of caring for me. And I will give what he takes me because he loves me and he knows what I need. He has done far beyond anything I have ever imagined. I'll give you one, one example recently that, that just happened. I, I drive a 19-year-old a, a Toyota Tundra truck. Not too long ago, I had a different Tundra. It was a two-wheel drive. A guy gave it to me. I was fine with that. I mean, it's what I had. He gave it to me because I had a, um, I, was, I was loading my wood in a, a blazer. Some guy gave me an old blazer, and I was putting wood in it, and he said, what do you use that blazer for? I said, for hauling wood. That's a dumb way to haul wood. Well, that's what I got. So I use a blazer. Because a pickup would be better. Well, I understand it, but I got a blazer. <laughs> well, eventually, this truck had like 225,000 miles on it. He gave it to me and said, why don't you use this instead? Okay, fine. Thank you. So I'm driving that around. It's a two-wheel drive. I'm fine, but it, you know, it's a two-wheel drive. Nice truck, though. I'm driving around, and uh, one of the i uh, working with a young man in, in Anago, and his grandmother came to me. His, his grandpa died, and this young man was really struggling. I just spent some time with him. And, and um, the grandpa who died was uh, the senior mechanic for uh, one of the Toyota dealers in, Green, in Appleton. So he was their senior mechanic. And he had this, he had this truck, man. He had this Toyota Tundra. It's a 19 or 2001 you look at it, the engine looks brand new. You know, it's 19 years old, brand new. I mean, it looks unbelievable. Four-wheel drive, mine was two-wheel drive. So she was out here one day visiting. She goes, and I said, boy, that's a nice truck. She goes, why don't you buy it? I don't want to buy that. And she goes, why not? I said, well, for several reasons. First of all, I'm, I'm learning in life just to be satisfied with what God gives me. He gave me this one. I, I'm fine with it. And I, and I really mean that. I'm, I'm happy with it. I put wood in it in the winter, and it drives fine, you know, and I'm fine with it. But for the next two years, she harassed me to buy this truck. And, and it was about a, about a year and a half after she started harassing me, I started saying, you know, I've never even prayed about this. I've never even thought about it. You know, so I just say no. What if God, my Heavenly Father, is saying, you know, I want you to have this stupid truck, and I'm just not even thinking about it. I'm not going there. 
It's not beyond God, by the way, to give you more than you think. So I said, okay, God, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play fleece a little bit here with you. I, but here's what I'll do. I'm going to pray about this. I'm, God's probably laughing at me already. I'm like, okay, fine. Let, let's make a deal, shall we, Dave? But he's got a plan, and I'm, and I'm just his kid, and he loves me, so he lets me go through it, these shenanigans once in a while. And, and, I'm, and I'm talking to him, and I say, okay, God, three things, three things. And I'm convinced, by the way, none of these three things will happen. And that's why I put them out there. I said, okay, first. First, um, this lady who's selling it needs to have it within $1,000 of what I can get this other truck for. The most I would spend is 1000 bucks, And it was way over that already, so I think. Second, somebody's got to buy my truck, and I'm not putting it for sale. they got to walk up to me and say, I would like to buy your truck, and I had a price in my head for it, and they would have to offer me this much. Third, my wife would have to think it's a good idea. <laughs> I was absolutely convinced that those three things could not happen. And God starts smiling, I think. Within a week, uh, our mechanic that died called me and said, hey, my brother saw your truck, wondering if you would sell it to him and wondered if he'd take this amount. I thought, really? <laughs> well, yes, I would. And tell him I have to think about it for a little bit because really I have to have the other two things take place before I would do that. And I didn't want to explain it all. So then I saw her at church. She's dropping off her grandson. I said, oh, by the way, you know, I've been thinking about that truck. Would you take this amount for it? She goes, absolutely. From you? Yes. I thought, hmm, two out of three. I'm counting on my wife saying this is a bad idea. So I got home, and I, you know, I was talking to her, and I said, you know, that name's Ida. Ida keeps wanting me to buy this truck, and and um, I, I said, you know, she offered it to me for this much, and I can get this much for the other one. She goes, Dave, you'd be silly not to. That's a better truck. <laughs> and I just looked at her. She never says that. <laughs> and I thought, okay, God, you win. I'll buy the truck. Uh, as I saw this lady this summer, I've, I had it. I bought it last spring. And I saw her this summer, and she was sitting down with me. She was waiting for her grandson to pick her up, him up from camp. And she looked at me, and she said, you know, Dave, for some reason, as I prayed, I kept believing that God wanted you to have that truck. I had all these guys lined up that kept bothering me to buy it. But I was convinced that you were supposed to buy it. Thanks. And I thought, you know, how weird is this? God demonstrating his faithfulness, that's all. Every one of these buildings you're in around this place has a story of God's faithfulness. It's amazing to me. God is worthy of our trust. He really is. And what we need to do and what I need to do. See, I, even in that truck thing, I was still not living in the realm of faith. I wasn't. I was saying, oh, God. But then I started to move that way. Like, okay. I know better. I, I know that I should trust you. But even in something as silly as a truck? And then I'm hearing myself say that thinking, but you're a heavenly father and fathers care very much. If my, one of my daughters said, 
Dad, you don't care about what I do here. I think, wait a minute, I do care. God cares. What good is it if I say I have faith, but I don't act like I have faith? See, then I don't have faith. And what's the answer to that? i got to get in the scriptures and see what the scriptures say. The true notion of faith is conviction in action, principles operating in the life, set, uh, sentiments embroiled in conduct. See, faith actually changes what I do. Now, we don't like saying that because then we produce guys who have works and they don't really have faith. But faith, false works, is there. I understand that. People act like they have faith, but they don't. What I'm talking about is when you have faith, there's this byproduct of peace. There's this byproduct of purpose. There's this byproduct of security that can't be taken from you. There's the Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego effect. There's the Noah effect, build a boat in a mountain. Sure. How big do you want that? Big. All right. And you're going to take animals and they're going to join me? Yep. Fine. I'd venture to say nobody else in the world thought that was going to happen. When you look back in history, you see what happened. In Romans, it talks about it. For as one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. She goes right back to the beginning again of time. And I, and I went back to the beginning with you and, and talked to you about how God, at the beginning, how submissiveness has been warped and how roles have been warped and how... And right from the beginning, what's happened was there, was there was a need for us to demonstrate the fact that we knew that God was God, but he wasn't going to force us to do it. And if we didn't do it, we'd pay the price. And, and, and Paul is reiterating that. He's saying, remember, this is how it went. Adam and Eve had a choice. They chose to sin. And because of their sin, every human being has sinned. Everyone since has been sinful. So there's not a human being that ever lived, apart from Jesus, there's nobody else that has been sinless. And, and that's clear. See, that makes sense to all of us. I don't even need to convince you that you're sinful. You know that. What you want to do is make it a comparative sin. I'm not as bad as that guy. Who cares? You're still sinful. Don't use the word good and bad. Use the word right and wrong. You've done wrong. That means you're sinful. And sinful people are separated from God. And God put a plan in motion right away that said, since that's the case, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to send my son, Jesus. He's going to take the penalty for you. You need to accept the fact that he's taking the penalty for you. It's that simple. Because I'm a God of my word, and I said there'll be a death payment. I'm reliable. You can trust me. I said there'll be a death payment. There will be. It's either going to be yours or it's going to be his. But there will be, because I said so. And I'm worthy of your trust, so I'm not going to lie. Tell me, though, he could have changed his mind. He's worthy of your trust. He's not going to lie. He actually thinks about what he says before he says it. <laughs> I don't always do that. <laughs> At least I'm told. But he always does. You might hear a random word come out of my mouth. You'll never hear a random word come out of God's. He's worthy of trust. And he goes back to the beginning. I love going back to the beginning. You can learn more in Genesis just about how the way things are supposed to be. 
Later, Paul says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Those people that are in God's family are in God's family because they have faith in what God did. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die. Now, see, if you don't believe there's a God, then you don't believe that in the first place. If you don't believe there's right and wrong, you just believe in good or bad, and it's all relative. So you're hoping one day, if there is an afterlife, that you stand there and you're judged on some relative scale that you made up in your head, by the way. But since there is a God, there's no relativity. There's people who are in God's family, and there's people who are outside of God's family. And regardless of what Aaron Rodgers says, that's the way it is. There's people that are wagers, and there's people who are not. Regardless of what you think, that's the way it is. The interesting analogy through Scripture is really that of adoption, though. And the adoption process is something that is, is very clear. What happens is somebody who is a child without a parent needs adoption. And why do they need adoption? Because they can't be taken care of without parents. You, you, you have a baby and they don't have parents. Who's going to change their diaper? Who's going to feed them? Who's going to make sure they're clothed? Who's going to do that? They need that. God compares us without him to a child that doesn't have a parent. And what happens when you think about the whole adoption picture is the only qualification of a person who is an orphan for them to be adopted is the fact that they're needy. That's it. They don't offer anything to the parents. It's not like they offer them money. They don't offer them an easier life. They don't offer them a quieter life. In fact, the only thing that they demonstrate is need. That's what they demonstrate. An orphan child demonstrates neediness. That's what they do. So what does a parent do that is going to be one who adopts? They look at it and they say, they identify the neediness. They look at it and go, needy. This person's needy. Okay. I, Dave Wager, my wife, Linda Wager, we can do something about it. We can take that person, have them live in our home. We can meet their needs. We have the resources to do it. We can do it. Now, the fact is, it's going to cost Linda and I everything and this child nothing. Child just needs to join us. We'll take care of the expenses. We'll take care of the details. That's what God offers us. He looks at us and goes, you're needy. I can take care of that. Yeah, but I want to take care of it. You can't. That's why you're needy. Yeah, but I want, you can't. But I'll be real good, so I'll be in your, you're not in my family because you're going to be real good. In fact, some orphan children go into families and they're a pain. Some are real good, some are a pain. They weren't adopted because they were going to be good or a pain. They were adopted because they were needy. One simple fact, they're needy. And, and I love that. When God makes an illustration, it's perfect. It's one simple thing about me that God looked at. He said, you're needy. I'll take care of the need. Trust me. So when I would adopt a child, let's say there's a child, I adopt a child. And if the child could somehow tell me, yeah, thanks for adopting me, I'll go live in the orphanage now. I'd say, no, 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 you don't understand. 
Oh, no, I'm glad you adopted me, but nothing will change. I'll live in your orphanage. I won't have anybody taking care of me. I won't have anybody influencing me. I won't. I'd go, no, that's not how it works. See, faith means there's a change. You now have a father and a mother. You will live with them. Life will be different. See, some people think, you know, you become a believer. You put your trust in Jesus as your Savior. Nothing's going to change. It's like, well, in some cases, true. But really impossible. You put your trust in Jesus for real, things will change. Because now you have a Heavenly Father. You can get the Spirit that lives within you. You can understand the Scriptures. You can be, see, life will change. The faith that you've demonstrated starts to prove itself real. It's not that you and I can be saved from our sin apart from faith. It's only faith. It's only acknowledging the fact of the things that are. God, I'm sinful. I'm, I'm separated from you. There's a payment for that sin. You paid for it. Okay, now I'm going to live in the context of that. You and I know that if an orphan child who's been adopted actually understands what those parents did, they would show their appreciation throughout their life if they really understood what happened. Some of them don't. They're young. They don't have a clue as to what happened. But if they did understand it, they would demonstrate thankfulness for it. So if I understand God's love for me and his saving grace and his mercy, I'm going to act as if I understand it. So to say, well, I, I'm, I put my trust in Christ, but nothing ever changes. In fact, that's why some people actually don't come to Christ. They realize that, boy, that'll change my life. I don't want to change my life. Well, look, being in God's family is going to change your life. I can't tell you how exactly, but it's going to do different things to you that being outside of God's family isn't going to do. It gives you hope, for one thing, real hope. It gives you peace. It gives you significance. It gives you security. And so you start living as if you're significant, secure, all that stuff. Oh, people might mistake, say, you're a confident person, whatever it might be. Maybe. You know, the truth of the matter is, I'm not very confident in, without God. I'm the youngest child. My dad was a great leader. My brother's a great leader. I don't even want to be a leader. I used to love following these guys. Till this day, I laugh about it when I talk to God. I say, you made me the leader. I'm a reluctant leader. I don't even want to lead. I really, I think if I had one gift, to be following. I loved it when my dad was alive and my brother would lead. I would just, in fact, people still, when my brother comes up here, he's one of our trustees, and he'll come up here, they say, you kind of go in the woodwork. You let him lead. I said, I love being in the woodwork. I love having somebody else lead. Well, you've been the leader for 40 years. Yeah, I know. But here's the secret. I haven't really been leading. I've just been following. I don't want to lead. I want to follow. I think healthy people follow. They understand that. They just know who to follow. By grace, you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's a gift. God gives us this. Not a result of works so no one can boast. There's no way we're going to be in heaven one day in God's presence go, look, man, 
I'm bad. Look what I did. I was better than that guy, that guy, that guy. That guy's going, you're better than nobody. Here's what I love. You know when you're a kid, your parents tell you, you know, you're saying, boy, you know, that's not fair. And your parents say nothing's fair. And I'm thinking, yeah, probably except for this. God made it the same for everybody in the world. Every ethnicity, every country, every, it's the same. All people come to God the same. They come to him acknowledging the fact that they're orphans, they're sinful, they're separated from him. And that he loves them. And he sent Jesus to die for their sins. They accept that gift for their own, and they're in God's family. And if they really realize that, then they start to live as if they're in God's family. No more meaninglessness in life. No more. It's different from that point on. No one is going to boast about that. If they boast about anything, they're going to boast about the fact that God loved them. See, if, if I'm an orphan and I boast about something, I'm going to boast about the faithfulness of my parents. Not, you know, I'm an orphan. Look at me. Look what I did to get adopted when I was two months old. See, that doesn't make any sense. I'm going to boast about my parents if I boast. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith. Here's what earlier James says, if you don't have works, you don't have faith. Now we're saying, whoa, you're not justified by works, you're justified by faith. Exactly. These are not contradictory statements. What's being said is very simple. If you are a member of God's family, it's because you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, everything changes. You don't change in order to get that. You put your faith in Christ and the change happens. If there's never a change, then you probably don't have faith in Christ in the first place. There are people that have intellectual understanding of God. Satan does. Satan knows more about the Bible and more about God than I do. And he's separated from God and he'll be in hell forever. Knowledge is not faith. Knowledge does not save. Knowledge is not what we seek in order to please God. We seek God. And then he imparts knowledge. See, we, we're just off at times a little bit. And being off gets us in trouble. In all circumstances, the scriptures tell us in Ephesians, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. It's faith that defeats Satan. Not my works, not my money, not my church. It's my faith. See, the only one Satan can't defeat is God. You, believe it or not, he can outthink. He can outscheme. He can outpropaganda you. God, he has no, no way to do that. So all I got to do is keep saying, I'm with him. I'm listening to him. I'm obeying him. And Satan loses. When the lies start coming that says, you're insignificant, I go, oh, oh. You know what God said about me? Oh, I don't want to hear it, Dave. Oh, I'll tell you what he said about me. That I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He said, I'm part of the body of Christ. He said, I, I, I could tell you what God said about me. Satan's probably enough. So I won't call you insignificant anymore because that's not worth it. 
Because the shield of faith just went up. And that accusation, I just threw it, you just bounced off because you threw that faith thing at me. Well, Dave, you'd be happier if you had more money. Oh, you know what? I've learned to be content with all things. Let me tell you about how my father's provided for me. Okay, forget that thing for now. Let's go to another area. You see, what happens is Satan keeps looking for ways, wedges to get in and uses propaganda. One of the chief ways he does it for all of us is get us to live in the context of our own perspective. Here's what I think, therefore it's right. (sighs) That doesn't work. Just look at this nation, the way it's operating. It doesn't work. There is a right and there is a wrong in the universe. There is a God. He created the world. He created us to be who we are. He created life to be simple. He really doesn't force people to be in his family. and He doesn't force you to be a Christian. He doesn't do that. He invites you. He says, I love you, but your choice, whether you want to accept this forgiveness or not, is your choice, not mine. It is my desire that you do. It's my desire that I'm your father. It's my desire that you spend eternity with me. It's my desire that you find out why I created you in the first place, where I can give you life and and life abundantly. You don't want it? That's your choice. And I would tell you the same thing that I told that young student one year. Tell me how it works in about five years. Tell me what you're thinking about when you get old and you're facing the reality of not being here anymore. How does faith in yourself work then? How does faith in money work then? How does faith in comfort work then? How does faith in things that don't work, work at that point? I promise you this. My faith in God will be something that can carry me through being poor or being rich, being sick or being healthy. It can carry me. Because it's God doing the carrying, not me. And one day, I'll be able to stand before a God who loves me. Oh, I know I'm not perfect. I understand that. But so does God understand that. That's the idea of mercy and grace. He never accepted me because I was perfect. He accepted me because I accepted him. Now that's something I can do. I can't be perfect. But I can take the gift that he offers me. I can do that. I can't live in the context of who he is. I can do that. And that's really my invitation to you guys. If, you've, if you're one that's never placed your trust in Christ, I invite you to. There's a moment in history where you realize this, and you know, you know God, I, I do. I want you part of my life. I'll put my trust in you, in your son Jesus and what he did for me. And some of you that you've done that, you've you've actually put your trust in Christ, but you live as if you don't know who he is. Can I suggest you get to know who he is? If you're always worried all the time and you're always fretting and you're always, either you're not in God's family or you don't know who he is. You never grew up at all. Oh, I'm not saying there won't be storms, there won't be times where things, you learn new things and you learn 
things that maybe you thought you already knew. But it all starts with a basic relationship and adoption. That's where it starts. And then there's a lifelong process of being molded. But you have to be willing to be adopted. See, that's how it all starts. I love uh, at least one time when I'm with you guys, I love you to do some thinking on your own. So I'd love you to just close your eyes for me, bow your heads and think for a moment. I, I just don't want you distracted. There might be some in here that have never really accepted God's gift. I want to invite you to do that. There's no great ceremony. There's no right words. It's, it's being able to talk to God, and you can do that right now. Just tell him you know you're, you're sinful and separated from him, and thank him for his love, and put your trust in Jesus. Tell him, I, tonight I trust your son and the gift that you gave in him for myself. It'll get you into the family. It's the adoption papers. Some of you are believers. You, you know you're part of God's family, but you're, you're just not living as if you know God. I think you need to make a commitment to spend more time with him so you know who he is. Faith comes by hearing. You need to hear more. If you're a guy here tonight and you... You pray tonight. You put your trust in Christ. As I close, I want to pray for you. But I'd love to know who you are. I'd love you to just take a second and make sure your eyes connect with mine before I pray. So I can pray for you tonight as well. Okay. Anyone else? Okay. 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 I would love for you, if you put your trust in Christ, to talk to one of the guys that you came with. Just tell them. They'll rejoice. They won't think anything but, oh, that's great. I, I'm glad you're part of the family. Maybe we can work on growing together and knowing God and living like we should. Father, again, thank you for your love and your mercy, your grace. Thank you for these moments where we can share and just talk about things that are important. For those tonight that understood your love and responded to you, I pray your spirit will just overtake them and let them understand your tremendous mercy and the significance that will play in their life. Brother, I, I'm Dave. I don't know what people actually do in their hearts. You, you do, and you know what it will mean um, for somebody who begins to walk in a manner that they're created to walk in. It's totally different than living outside the realm of truth. But I ask that your spirit will work in our hearts. For those that struggle with um, just having faith in you, even though they're your children, I pray that as they spend time in your word that you will reveal yourself to them, that they will know who you are and that they will learn to enjoy you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Any announcements? Yes.